Welcome back to episode 113 of the Woman of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. Producer Judy Stevens here. Today we're returning to our love of science and the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. On view now is the Dinosaurs Among Us exhibit, which welcomes visitors to discover how the dinosaurs' extraordinary story continues today. To talk about the exhibit, her career, and more, we welcome Dr. Ohenya Gold to the podcast. Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer, and I'm bringing another scientist to the podcast. Please introduce yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Dr. Ohenya Gold. I'm an instructor at Stony Brook University, and I'm a recent graduate of the Richard Gildor Graduate School at the American Museum of Natural History. Now, first of all, I, I didn't realize until recently that there was actually a graduate facility with the Natural History Museum. That's such an amazing thing. The fact that you, like, got your Ph.D. at a museum is super cool. It's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, the, the program opened in 2008. And it's actually a funny story because I heard about it in 2007 and I applied to be in the first class in 2008. But I got rejected. Oh. Yeah, little known fact. Um <laughs> And so I reapplied after getting a master's, and they uh, uh, brought me in for an interview and then accepted me. So in 2011, I finally got to go to the school that I had been eyeing since it opened, um, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's definitely the fact that, you you know, your mentors are these, like, wor- working scientists who, like, especially for paleontology, who are going to the, you know, the dig sites and doing all these things and have been working for so long. I, that's, to me, is always what school's been important about is, like, it's about what you're learning, but also... Who you're learning from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the curators, all of the curators at the museum are super supportive. And they'll, they don't hesitate to bring you onto projects and take you out into the field and really support you throughout the, the time you're there and beyond, actually. So dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I was reading something that said you love dinosaurs since you were a child. I will also agree with that. That's uh, true. But how did, you know, like love, going from like loving dinosaurs but also wanting to know that you want to spend a significant amount of your time in school doing that, what was that? Where was that moment where you were like, "I'm going to do this"? Um, actually, it was my whole life. Uh, I've I've liked dinosaurs since the moment I started having memories. Um, and my parents were really supportive. They, you know, them and my whole family from Argentina would send me newspaper clippings because there was no internet when I was a kid. So they would actually cut out the newspaper and mail it to <laughs> me um, with news articles from Argentina about the latest dinosaur finds, and then. I'd follow it on my own when, the, like, the Washington Post started printing the Kids Post, which, you know, at that point I was kind of old for the Kids Post, but it was the <laughs> only place I could get paleo news. So, um, yeah, I just followed it as much as I could on my own. And then when I hit college, I I found, you know, geology and biology and a couple of mentors that guided my career since then and really just, you know, stuck me on the path. Yeah, I, I think mentorship is so especially so important. It, you know, we, we talk about we've talked about on this podcast before about women working in comics, women working in sports, but also women working in science. There are just not enough women equal out there to men in science. And, you know, is it you know, I, I think that nowadays we're definitely getting out there to be like, hey, and you too can be a scientist. 
Um, but I think that's what the mentorship is why it's so important that, you know, once you find someone you're like, oh, they don't care if you're a boy or a girl, you too can be a scientist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it was actually interesting because most of my professors throughout my college and graduate career have been male. Um, even all of my advisors have been men. Um, and they've just been equally supportive. It's not it's not an issue. It's just a thing that if you want to do it, you can do it. And there, there's nothing stopping you. Yeah. We actually, I was talking, I was taking uh, Dr. Gold around. <laughs> I've never had, a, I mean, I'm sure I've had a doctor on here, but I've never called them <laughs> doctors. So that's kind of cool. Uh, but I, 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 we did on a little mini tour of the comics and we, we met some of the editors. And you mentioned that, that as we were giving you the first comics of Devil, Moon Girl, Devil Dinosaur, you were like, these are my first comics. It's true. I, when I was a kid, I really, I really enjoyed um, comics and it was something I wanted to get into, but my, my parents and I love them and they're very supportive people, so I don't want to paint them in a bad light. But my parents had told me that comic books are for boys, um, also remote control cars. So that was also not a thing that I could have. <laughs> Um, and since I was a girl and, you know, now a woman, obviously, um, I was not allowed to uh, get into comics and read comics. But now that it's exploded in movies and TV shows and stuff, I'm I'm all about it. So I was really excited to get my first comic books from Marvel Studios themselves. So, yeah. Well, and also, I mean, like, I also didn't read comics growing up because I thought that they were for boys, too. I think that that's sort of a, a misconception that is now changing. You know, anyone can read comics anyone can be in science um although i was allowed to have remote control cars uh <laughs> i that was my my christmas gift every year that i would like research for what you can research before the internet i would like look at all the different toys r us ads to see which remote control car was the best deal and like what was the best could the coolest one yeah I'm sure my parents regretted that. Did you have the one that could flip upside down and then keep driving? No, but I always wanted that one. And actually, that like commercial is playing yeah, in my head right, right. now. <laughs> Such a cool remote control car. You know, and they're still really cool now. But and I look at them and I'm like, man, they are so much cooler now. And the batteries last longer. Oh, because the batteries wouldn't last very long. Mm. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about what you actually sort of what you got your PhD in, which is really interesting because it's. Uh, you know the the new the new exhibit that's at the Natural History Museum really use that, and it's something that not not like within just dinosaurs, but within you know sort of science looking at older different uh, bones and stuff like that. And also, you know, besides that, you have been on digs, which is cool. I'm jealous. <laughs> I would like that's a thing that I wish I could. You know, some people say it's not very exciting. I think it's exciting. Yeah. It's fun. And if you like camping, then there's no there's no better camping than walking around around your campsite and nearby and finding dinosaur bones while you're doing it, you know? So it's definitely something I think and, everyone should try to do. Yeah, and you I think you actually discovered some things when on you went to the the, the desert in, in China and actually found things. Yeah. So I was I was actually in Mongolia, um, in the Gobi Desert and uh I found this it was sort of we had driven up to the site and everyone was looking at this big hill and like it had a nice layer in it. So everyone walked over there. But uh, I had noticed that when um, poachers come by, there's usually tire tracks that lead off the main road ish thing. And then they'll circle around a spot and then it looks sort of disturbed. And I had seen that off the road. So while everyone else was walking up a hill, I walked over to this little disturbed section and found these giant pieces of sauropod femurs and parts of their leg and it's just like it goes from my foot to my knee and it's just the bottom part of their femur 
Um, so that was exciting. It was like, ah, look at this giant thing I found. And I made everybody <laughs> come over there and like take photos of it. We took some of the pieces with us, but you know, the, the poachers had gotten most of it. So I didn't realize that that was, I mean, that makes sense. Cause that's always, uh, you know, turn of the century Victorian era, people were robbing the, you know, different things, but I didn't realize it still was a concern. Yeah. Especially in fossil rich areas like China and Mongolia, um, places that have really strict laws about, um, exporting fossils, uh, yeah, poachers will try to find them and sell them on the black market because they'll get a lot of money for them. And actually, there was just a case where one of the Mongolian, I think it was a Tarbosaurus, got shipped back to Mongolia after being discovered. I think it was here. Um, so that was rightfully returned to Mongolia where it should be. Um, so that was good. But it's definitely and, a problem. And, and one of the things I've, um, you know, uh, I actually went to the opening of the exhibit and they talked about sort of like now, not just like digging the bone up and like, Taking it to a museum and studying it about studying where the bones are laying, mm-hmm. which is really, and I think that sort of, you know, like then you can see the actual feather. Dinosaur said feathers, guys. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I think that's, you know, it's, it's, I'm super fascinated with science, but and my mother always wanted to be an archaeologist. Oh, I see. And so I sort of grew up with like archaeology magazines mm-hmm. around, and I think that if she could, like, she ended up being a computer science major. But it's almost the same thing. Yeah, like she has a degree in chemistry. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how. Well, also, no, I like a computer that. science degree from the 1970s is distinctly different from a computer science degree now. She was like, she was taking like high level math. Mm-hmm. She was like, she could take it two more classes and one got in a math degree. I got a degree in photography, so uh-huh. different world. But, you know, I sort of grew up around, you know, like learning all this stuff about digs and stuff like that. And it's so fascinating um, because it's like real life what you actually like. You know, you go to school and you spend all this time and then you actually get to go and do something that's to what, you know, your degree or your career. Yeah. And, and that's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's and, it's and really exciting. Things. Yeah. It's really exciting when you go out there and you and not even just like in the field, but even in the lab where you're looking at fossils that other people have dug up or looking at, you know, in my case, birds that went recently extinct. And, and you finally discover something that's new about them when they've been sitting in collections for you know, decades, and no one's really looked into it. So that process of discovery is really what drives, I think, most scientists, if not all. Well, and now, you know, using different types of technology that's that's come of them, you can actually do different types of scans, which is sort of what you specialize in. Right. Yeah. So uh, what I do is I take a CT scanner, so a c- computed tomography scanner, um, which everyone's usually familiar with in terms of hospital settings. Um, and I scan dinosaur skulls and bird skulls, and then using really advanced software, I'll fill in the brain case digitally, and so we get a 3D representation of what the brain looked like in these animals that, you know, have been dead for millions of years, and soft tissue doesn't preserve, so we have this, like, really great representation of a brain, um, and I see how it's changed from dinosaurs to birds and see if we can figure out how flight evolved through the neuroscience aspect. And you actually have 3D printed, like, skulls, which is so cool. Because then now you can take something that's a super fragile, like, piece, remake it, and then actually do, you know, actually be able to, like, touch it and do things with it, which I think is, like, the future of sort of seeing yeah. technology of, of different things. Like, 3D printing, I never thought, oh, duh, that makes sense. Yeah, like, 3D printing is awesome because not only is it great for, like, outreach, you can bring these replicas of these fossils and they're not going to break you know you don't have to worry about little kids touching them or dropping them or whatever they're fine um, you can also post the files to make them on the internet and so other people can download the specimen and have their own copy and do their own research based on the the 3d printout 
Um, so it's really advancing data sharing and, and more of a global collaboration of science. Do you think that now that everything is sort of more accessible, you don't have to like send faxes or things in the mail, that science is making more leaps and bounds, more discoveries? I hope so. Um, it's always a little bit tenuous because sometimes people are hesitant to share their data, especially when it's not published yet, and um, work with people that maybe they don't know very well um, because they don't want to get scooped, you know, publish or perish in science. If you don't publish, then, you know, you're, you're quote, not a very good scientist. So um, um, I'm hoping that in the future it becomes more of a, a stable aspect of science that people will just collaborate with, you know, maybe people that they've tweeted to or, or, or Facebook friends with or, you know. Um, but I think I think we're going in that direction, but yeah. it's going to be a little while before it's that makes sense. established. That makes sense. I mean, it's all about papers. <laughs> Which maybe that's I don't think that I think that's the main reason I didn't go into science because I didn't <laughs> like to write things. Um, yeah, writing is honestly not my favorite part of it either, and I think it's because um, and I've only just recently discovered this about myself. I I like to talk very simply, um, and using a lot of scientific jargon is not my strong suit. I'd rather simplify everything and make it really easy to understand. Um, so writing scientific papers is really hard for me to do. It takes a long time. Um, and that's okay. You know, some people can publish every five minutes and some people take a long time to come up with a product that they're happy with. Um, but one thing that um, I've learned that, I, you know, it works for me is I can take these complicated scientific topics and reduce them down to something that anyone can understand. Um, and once I figure that out about myself, I, I launched a blog for kids. Um, so I'm I'm trying to get that more spread out so that it hits a wider audience. But um, what is your it, blog? You it, can you can talk it about is, it here. Uh, DrNeurosaurus.com, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's in English and Spanish, so that uh, oh. I can try to hit more um, audiences with that. Um, yeah, and it just takes articles that come out in the press that usually adults will read or skip over, uh, as the case may be. Um, and I just synthesize it into a little bit more background in the biology and then bring in the new aspect that this whatever paper has talked about um, in terms that everyone can understand. That's cool. A lot of photos and diagrams and sometimes really bad original artwork. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I think that that's what's important for science. You know, some people can be really into learning what a new word is and understanding that word. But a lot of people, I think, are so... You know, like science, not just like any world in science or, com or computers or anything to use like a word that's like, you know, a, a nerd word or whatever. I'm using quotations for this. <laughs> and suddenly, you know, they glaze over. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's like this. I think it's sort of like a, a social thing. People do this like, oh, you're talking about like science or too intense for me. So I'm just not going to pay attention. Yeah. But sometimes you need you need to be able to, you know, break things down in such a way that that the, the layperson can understand. Yeah, it makes it much more approachable yeah. and less intimidating to, like, that way more people understand the value of science um, and aren't afraid of it. Yeah. Like, science literacy is a, a big problem in a lot of the world. Yeah. So getting people to not be intimidated by science is, a, um, I think, something that all scientists should work on yeah. doing. 
Well, and I think that the Natural History Museum does a really great job with their exhibits because the exhibits are are not are a mix of like for children and for adults too, and being able to like interact with like the the fun things that are clearly made for children, but you you want to play with them anyways, or also like read about actual science and in you know in such a way where you're like you 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 look at it and you don't have to read it two or three times to understand what's going on, and I think that that's you know that's why I go back to the, the museum again and again and again because I. Yeah, I can I can go back to the 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 um the Hall of Marine Life, which is my favorite the giant whale. But like go back there and just like read the same thing again and go, Oh, okay. Like maybe I pick that thing up the next time. So and the the new uh the new exhibit at the Natural History Museum is amazing. It's open till like I think January twenty sixteen. Yeah. And uh I went to the opening and we, we did a, a the This Week in Marvel, which is the other podcast, did a, a great um a podcast uh, with the curator, and did you sort of help work with that exhibit a little I bit? I did, actually. Some of my research is uh, featured in the brain section of the exhibit. Um, and I'm in the video, which is super crazy, <laughs> um, especially when I brought my sisters through it, and they were like, oh, it's your face, and you're talking on the video. And I was like, stop looking at it. <laughs> um, the four years that I was at the museum, um, I didn't get a chance to work on an exhibit, um, and then this one came through, and I heard from one of my, you know, fellow students that he was helping with the exhibit. And so I, I saddled up to my advisor, Mark Norell, and was like, can I also help with this exhibit? And he was like, oh, sure, that's fine. And so all of his students ended up helping with the exhibit, <laughs> which is great. Um, so it, it does feature a lot of our ongoing research. Um, and the exhibit, uh, Dinosaurs Among Us, is really great. Um, it. Like you said, it's appropriate for kids. It's appropriate for adults. Everyone's going to have a good time there. You're going to completely reimagine what dinosaurs look like. Um, it's got all the latest information, and it's great in every way. I, I, I mean, obviously, the most the, the like the moment you walk in is you first see this dinosaur that is related to the T Rex. A smaller sort of version of the T Rex that is covered in these quills, these like yeah. feathered quills. You Tyrannus. And he's so cute, but he's also like terrifying. <laughs> yeah, the quills give it sort of a mixed, like you you imagine it as a baby, and you think it's going to be really cute, but as an adult, it's a little bit terrifying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these quills uh, are the early stages of what feathers would have been. So you start out with these hollow filaments that would have covered the body, um, and you go from there to something that has branches coming off of the one filament, and then. The branches get little branches, and so the the whole feather gets velcroed together with these little branches. Um, they're called barbels, barb, barbules, barbules. Um, and yeah, so we actually have a really good record of how f- feathers developed in the fossil record. Um, and it's really great that we were able to display that in that exhibit. Yeah, and there's um, they talk about sort of eggs and um, how eggs, how dinosaur eggs were. Um, sort of put in a nest and the idea about nesting. And, I mean, there actually is, like, uh, I, I went back, when we went to go do the, the podcast with, with Mark, we went back to the exhibit and I had already been before, and I was like, I was like, this is actually really, like, in-depth. It's like, you know, it's it's not a it's not a super huge exhibit, but it's it's a big enough space that there's plentiful things happening. Um, and, you know, and sort of I feel like there's – I have a little bit more respect for birds. I mean, I think <laughs> birds are pretty terrifying to begin with. But, like, you know, when I look at birds, I'm like, that's a dinosaur, you know? Yeah, that's the best part. Like, once, you know, in high school when I, I read this book, The Mistaken Extinction, um, and, at, you know, it's telling you how birds are dinosaurs. And as soon as I read that and I started looking around my house and stuff, 
like, oh my God, there's dinosaurs everywhere. <laughs> this is amazing. This is the best news I've had ever. Um, so yeah, the, the exhibit covers all of that. It covers how birds came to be from their dinosaurian ancestors, how they're uh, alike to crocodiles, which is their closest living relatives. Um, and it covers every aspect of their biology from uh, eggs to development to flight and feathers and brains and breathing and everything having to do with living. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you guys are in New York City um, and you haven't been to the exhibit yet or you're planning to make it to New York City, the exhibit's open till uh, January 2017. Wow, that number sounds so weird. It sounds really far away. Um, make sure you guys go check out Dinosaurs Among Us. Um, and then when you're looking at birds around you, you rethink your, your, your like, cute little bird. No, it's a mean bird. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's an awesome dinosaur. It's an awesome dinosaur that's somehow survived like a giant big bang or whatever happened to the dinosaurs so well thank you for joining us thank you so much for having me yeah um well we'll have to continue our little mini tour (laughs) see more of the marvel experiences do you have a twitter or anything like that i do have a twitter it's uh at dr neurosaurus just like my blog (laughs) yeah so you guys should go check out her blog that sounds amazing actually uh we'll make sure we link to her twitter and her blog um and hopefully we'll have more scientists, female scientists, uh, to talk to in the future podcast. We will check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe. Dinosaurs Among Us is open till January 2nd, 2017. So if you're a New York City local or just visiting, make sure you take the time to see this amazing exhibit. Head over to amnh.com for more information. We're also excited to announce that the Women of Marvel will be returning to New York Comic Con with our panel on Sunday, October 9th at 1.30 p.m. in Room 1A06. Look for Sana, Adri, and myself to be there, plus Margaret Stoll and more to be announced soon. As always, if you have questions or suggestions, please email us at womanof at marvel.com or tweet at Marvel with hashtag Woman of Marvel. We'll check you guys next week. This is Marvel, your universe. <laughs>